It is my great honor tonight to introduce to you the man who functions as my pastor and has for the last 10 years, ever since uh, Scum of the Earth began. Most of you aren't aware of this, but I'm not a Lone Ranger. I was ordained in 1991 through an organization called the Alliance for Renewal Churches. Ray Nethery, our guest speaker tonight, is the founder of the Alliance for Renewal Churches, and I thought I'd just give you a little bit of background on him so you know who's speaking to us tonight. Ray has been doing ministry about as long as I've been alive. Graduated from a Christian college, um, having gone there uh, from a very secular college setting. He signed up as one of the very first staff people of Campus Crusade for Christ. He actually was really good friends with the founder of Crusade, Bill Bright, and his wife, Vonda. Ray and his wife, Eunice, took over for Bill and Vonda uh, in Southern California at the very, very first chapter of Crusade. Ray was there for about a year, was already training volunteer staff and new staff members when he moved to the Midwest and began opening up Crusade in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is those schools that are around Minnesota, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, all those schools in there. Ray started Crusade there. After he completed that task, he was given the task to open up the Middle East for Crusade, and he began Crusade in countries like Iran. Yes, there were Christians in Iran, and Crusade was in Iran before the uh, revolutionary takeover there, the fundamentalist Muslim takeover. He also opened up Crusade in the Pacific Rim, Japan, Korea, those kind of places. And then after he was completing those tasks, he and other Crusade staff members felt the Lord was calling them to come back to the U.S. and begin church the way that it might have been done earlier. And so they studied the early church fathers. Um, Ray went to study with Francis Schaeffer in Labrie in Switzerland and worked closely with Francis Schaeffer there for a while. And then he left, came back, and founded a study center here in the U.S. in uh, Mansfield, Ohio, called Grace Haven Farm. And hippies from all over the country would stop in there, and seekers would stop in there to find out about Jesus. And they would work on the farm, and they would uh, go to class. And uh, Ray was their pastor, their mentor, their friend, their landlord, their disciplinarian, their whatever. A lot of People came to Christ through this time and began planning churches, and they needed oversight. They didn't know where to go, so they turned to Ray. And Ray found himself pastoring pastors, and that's how the Alliance for Renewal Churches movement was born. Uh, And Ray functions as uh, pastors to many pastors around the country. I can tell you that when nobody else would take me under their wing, when nobody else wanted to oversee and be a legal covering or even a church covering for scum of the earth, Ray Nethery was there. And he said, Mike, no problem. Let me help you out. And so every year for the past 10 years, Ray's come out a couple times to sit with Mary, my wife and I, 
ask how we're doing in our marriage, how our kids are doing, how the church is doing, has taken a very real personal interest in me, has been a safety valve uh, for me. I don't know that there would be a scum of the earth without Ray Nethery and the Alliance for Renewal Churches. And I just uh, want to commend him to you. Uh, he's in his 79th year of life and uh, looking forward to the next season. So please have a warm welcome for Ray Nethery, my pastor. In my journey with Mike and Mary, uh, I had an interesting episode with Mary a while back in which she said, you know, it's kind of a little demeaning, but everybody knows Mike Sayers. And I'm really known not as Mary, but as Mike Sayers' wife. And she said, you know, the capstone of that experience was when we took our trip to Greece a couple of years ago. And on the way, we stopped in Rome And uh, we thought, well, we'd go and see the Vatican, and so we went to St. Peter's Square, and there was a huge crowd of people there. And uh, Mike said, Mary, just stay here, and he disappeared in the crowd. And she said, you know, two figures emerged up on the side of St. Peter's Square there in a balcony, and I was trying to make out who they were. And I turned to this little Italian boy, and I said, who are those people up in the balcony? He said, well, I don't know who the guy with the beanie is, but the other guy's Mike Sayers. Those of you who didn't get it will get it tonight at midnight. (laughs) Let's pray. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. The Spirit of God is here, present with us. And uh, there may be some of us tonight that he wants to speak to. And he wants you to take some steps toward uh, him and towards really turning your life more fully uh, over to him. If you haven't accepted Christ, maybe this will be the evening when you'll make that choice. And if you are walking as a Christian, maybe God wants you to become more of his follower. Let's pray. Father God, we sometimes are inclined to diminish you to our level. And uh, we want to tonight gasp a little bit in terms of how expansive and how great and how mighty and powerful you are. The creator of the universe the God who gave us life and gave us our time and our season here on earth, the God who sent to us redemption through Jesus. Tonight we bow before you with thanksgiving. We bow before you with our praise. We bow before you because you are God, and we are here to serve you. Lord, touch our hearts tonight and draw us closer to yourself and draw us more into that circle, Lord, where we can really experience the abundance of the Christian life, and we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to uh, direct your attention to the text. Uh, Our topic tonight is, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? And if someone would put up Mark 1, 14 through 20, can you guys read that? You've got better eyes than I have. (laughs) After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. 
The kingdom of God is near. Repent, believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. He said to them, Come, follow me. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired hands and followed him. Now, Mark presents us a picture of the calling of these disciples, and it sounds as though he just encountered them there uh, as he saw them in the boat and they immediately responded to him. But if you go to the other Gospels, you'll find that there was a good deal of ministry in that area that preceded this event. And uh, one of the healings that took place in terms of signs and wonders was the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, there were other uh, events that took place. He moved about. He was proclaiming the gospel to the people, the gospel of the kingdom, and he was saying the gospel, the, the kingdom is near. Uh, there were signs and wonders. So when he encountered these four men, they obviously had exposure to him, and they had seen not only or heard not only his, uh, his, his preaching, his proclamation, but they also had seen the signs and wonders that endorsed him for who he was. So as we get into the text here tonight, uh, I want to approach it on the basis, first of all, is who is this man who said, follow me? First of all, we have Mark's testimony in Mark chapter 1, where Mark says, this is the beginning of the gospel, the gospel being the good news, about Jesus Christ, Christ being the Greek equivalent of Messiah. And then he goes on to say, the Son of God. This is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This was his statement in the way he initiated the book and the way he declared Jesus. Then, obviously, there was this event where Jesus was baptized by John. And at the conclusion of this baptism, we have a voice coming from above you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus claims himself are very intriguing. I and the Father are one. He that has seen me has seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the bread of life. He spoke of himself as the water of life. C.S. Lewis sums this up very well when he says, Either Jesus Christ was who he said he was, the Son of God and the Savior of mankind, or else he was a liar or an idiot on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg. The claims of Christ are very clear. He saw himself for who he was, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind. So on the basis of this, what is our Lord Jesus Christ call to us? And he says in the text that we have three things. 
He says, believe, repent, follow me. I'd like to talk about those briefly with you tonight. Paul, as he speaks in 1 Timothy, he speaks of the fact that the devils believe and tremble. There's a kind of belief that is not transforming. There's a kind of belief that doesn't really uh, capture the heart. The kind of belief that Christ was speaking of is maybe summed up in the word trust or faith. You're sitting in a seat. Why are you confident that that seat will hold you up? Well, you placed your faith in that seat, and you put your full weight on that seat, and you've gained confidence in that seat. I remember so very clearly when I was a teenager and I had a job during the summer near Mount Hood in Oregon with a group of actually older boys. I was kind of a big kid, and I got a job when I shouldn't have been there. But at any rate... um, we came one day with packs on our backs to a swinging bridge across the Sandy River, and it's a rushing river coming off of the mountain. And I don't know if you've ever seen these rope bridges, swinging bridges. Have any? Have, you've all seen those things or at least seen pictures of them. Well, if you've never crossed one of these things, especially if there's a gorge, a river gorge below you, it is really scary. And I saw the rest of these boys go across very confidently, and I was standing there, and... I knew it would hold me up, but, you know, I really didn't trust it until I put my faith in that bridge, and I finally did. I think it was more because of shame and mortification. I didn't want to face my colleagues than it was anything else, but nonetheless, I put my full weight on that bridge and trusted it, and the kind of faith that we're talking about in terms of Christian faith is the kind of faith where we trust in God to really bring to us his salvation, the kind of faith to really trust in God, to guide us and to lead us, the kind of faith to trust in God to provide. And here I am at 79 years, and I have need the kind of faith to be secure about the future, that there is an eternal life ahead for those who embrace Jesus Christ and the salvation that he provides for us and embrace the resurrection in which he secured resurrection for those of us who follow him. And so the security of the future is a piece of this. Then it calls for the issue of repentance. And uh, this is an interesting term. I would suggest to you that actually this is not just a matter of the first time you turned your heart over to Christ, but this is a matter of almost every day in your Christian life that you're constantly in a situation where you're turning away from patterns that are contrary to God's way and turning, turning to God and, and turning to the Lord's way. And there's this constant motion of repentance in our lives, of turning away and turning toward. Uh, so repentance isn't just a matter of gnashing of teeth and tears, although there can be godly sorrow. But uh, it's, it's a matter of day by day, as we discover more and more of the Lord and more of his ways and the patterns of life that he has for us, turning to them, acts of repentance are part of the daily life of every Christian. I remember uh, my motions towards the Lord. I was at the end of my sophomore year in college. I was working in a logging camp in Northern California for a summer job, good employment, good money. 
And uh, I was up there with a bunch of guys that were really wild. And uh, I remember going out on weekends with them and coming back and saying, is this the kind of life you want to lead, Ray, you know? And actually, it, you know, there was no missionary or uh, there weren't any Christians around, actually, at all. What spoke to me was the creation around me and kind of the negative life that I was surrounded with and the question of, is this the kind of life you want to live? And I remember sitting down and writing out all of my so-called intellectual questions on a sheet of paper and saying, God, if you're there, I need answers to these questions. Sometime later, I opened a Bible and just kind of, you know, you've probably done the same thing, just open it up and said, well, I'll read this, you know. And it said, except a man become a little chi- as a little child, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I thought, maybe I'm going about this in the wrong way. You know, maybe I need to come at this just simply saying, okay, I'll trust you, and I'll trust you with my questions. And so I found myself on my knees by my bunk, just basically repenting of two things before God. One was just going my own independent way and living separately from God, my creator. And... um, inviting Christ to come into my life and to be my Savior. Uh, I didn't know much about the Lordship of Christ at that particular point. I didn't say, anyway, I just invited Christ into my life. And no great bright lights, no phenomenal conversion experience. I just went to bed. (laughs) 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 But you know, the next day, I experienced something of the transformation in my heart. I had confidence that I had made a motion toward God that was going to last me for my life and a commitment to God. The interesting thing was that, you know, my early motions of repentance, I found I had to repeat over and over again. I remember, you know, years, some years later, uh, I was in Campus Crusade ministry. I was talking to people about Jesus. I was, uh, as it were, a minister. And... Uh, I uh, was out at Midwest Keswick, and I was listening to a speaker there, and he spoke of faith. And he was so exaggerated and so uh, committed to, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I was kind of distressed because I didn't really think that in everything one could, should give thanks. Just didn't seem, he seemed exaggerated. So I went for a walk with him afterwards and kind of laid out all these extreme situations. And he said, Ray, in everything, in everything. I said, well, what if you're, you've had an automobile accident, you're sitting on the curb, and your arm is severed, and you're bleeding to death? He said, give thanks. Two things may happen. He says, as you turn to the Lord, maybe you won't die of shock. On the other hand, if you do die, you're going to go to heaven. Give thanks in everything. And... Uh, so anyway, the next day I was driving down Highway 100, the Beltway around Minneapolis, and I was kind of a, a pretty crass driver. And uh, a guy offended me, and so I kind of came up and uh, nudged him a little bit. I didn't hit him, but I kind of <laughs> crowded him a little bit. And then he came whipping around me and really jammed me. And um, I was furious, and I pulled around and drove up beside him, was cranking the window down, and the Lord said, Okay, Ray, take a good look at yourself. And uh, I started to kind of choke up a little bit. And I thought, okay, in everything, give thanks. Oh, God, I don't want to do this. I, don't want, I didn't want to say thank you in the midst of this situation. It seemed like 
such a contradiction. And uh, I did. I said, okay, I'll do it. Thank you, God. Thank you for a situation that's beyond me. It's ugly. Thank you in the midst of my ugliness. And I started to weep because I got a good look at myself. And it was time that this old boy, once again, needed to repent and turn to the Lord's way. And I just want to put before you that this issue of repentance is almost a day-by-day thing for all of us where we choose to turn away from the patterns established for us in the culture to the patterns of God that he's established for us. Why not? Why shouldn't we do this? He's the creator of all this stuff. He's the one that gave you life at this particular time behind the procreative act of your parent behind the creative act of your parents are the actions of God who gave you life, who gave you who you are, your personality, your character. Sometime later, I was coming back from campus, and all of my friends and colleagues on campus had seen this film, Elmer Gantry, which was the story of kind of a profligate evangelist who was very, very poorly motivated, and it was kind of really an insult to Christianity. I thought, well, if these guys are seeing this thing, I need to see it. So after I finished my work around 9.30, I thought I'd go to the late show. I saw this movie, and uh, I came home weeping. And the reason I wept is because I saw myself in Elmer Gantry. I saw poor motivation in this guy. Uh, There were a number of things that troubled me at that particular time. And uh, one of them was that um, I was really driven by a fear of failure. And I was not going to fail. Part of this was just providing for my wife and my kids and some of the terror that goes in a man's heart as he has uh, thin times, and we had some really thin times in terms of uh, support and so on for the ministry. But the fear of failure, and I had to deal with that that night. And then I had to deal with uh, some of the other phony baloney that's in me, the idea that I was really so concerned about what others thought about me and how I looked in their eyes. And, uh, you know, so here was a a person who's been a Christian now a number of years, and I'm faced with that evening coming home and pacing up and down until 4.30 in the morning and repenting and turning away from poor motivation, non-Christian motivation, not characteristic of a man who is really following God and turning to him and saying, God, I'm sorry, and I want to do it your way. But I'm just saying to you now, believing is a day-by-day procedure, trusting God with your life, trusting him to guide you, to lead you, to provide for you, trusting him with your eternal future. Repentance is part of the motion of our daily lives. And then thirdly, I'd like to talk with you about another piece of this, and that is discovering what our true center is. Are you the center of your life? Is life all about you? Or are you here for some other reason? Is there another center outside yourself to which you look for understanding, for meaning, for a sense of identity, for a sense of worth and purposefulness in this life? 
And I would suggest to you that if God indeed is the creator and we're not a bunch of deluded idiots in, in this regard, then the place to look is outside of ourselves. The place we look is to the one who gave us life and gave us existence and gave us a time to be here on earth and gave us these years that we have here on earth. We are here for him, to glorify him. Augustine put it so very well when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. We are here as the image bearers of God, unique creatures in the midst of creation to glorify our God. We are here to serve him and his ends in this world as Christian people. He is the creator. We are the creature. He is the master and Lord, and we are his servants. The thing that marks us as unique in the midst of creation from all the other creatures, and we are creatures, is the fact that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And there's something in each one of us that is like God. And the question is, in the light of that uniqueness, in the light of the calling of God to these special human creatures, are we really going to serve him? Who is this God? You know, when you think in terms of um, the universe, he's the creator of the universe. Uh, according to current uh, astrophysics, there are probably a billion galaxies out there. And in, we're in the Milky Way galaxy. And in the Milky Way galaxy, there are several solar systems or stars around which planets revolve. And here we are on this Earth, so delicately balanced that life can exist on this planet. And I wish I could go on with the story of this, just describing the marvel of this creation. This is the God of the universe. This is the God of creation. And we are unique creatures in his economy, made in his image and likeness. And there's a special purpose that we have. We see it in the garden. Here's Adam and Eve existing before God. He was their center. Obviously, they built their daily life around him. They were there to serve him. They were subregent under him. He said, have dominion and rule over, subregent under God, to care for and look after the creation, to bless it. And, of course, with the fall came a curse. And with the fall uh, came, uh, came not only this curse, but the curse affects us in our lives and our existence as well today. So the question is, who am I and why am I here? You are the image bearers of God, made in his likeness and made for a unique purpose in the creation, to glorify him, to build your existence around him, to make him your true center. The center is not the culture around us. It's not the persons down the street. We don't let other people uh, establish uh, the patterns of life for us as Christians, we take our cues from the Lord himself. One piece of this is to come to a place where we really know our own sense of identity. I think one of the great tragedies, especially in the teen years, 
is the fact that often we compare ourselves with other people. There's always a better-looking specimen. There's always someone more athletic. There's always someone more intelligent than ourselves. And often we feel so diminished when we're around these people that in some way are more outstanding than we are. Rather than taking our identity as Christian people directly from God himself, we are made as image bearers of God. The psalmist discovered this and put it so very well in Psalm 139.14, where he says, I praise you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and that my soul knows right well. And I would suggest to you, if you're struggling with a sense of, as a Christian, a sense of your true identity, take that verse, Psalm 139.14, type it up or write it up, and stick it on your mirror and look at it every day and say, I praise you, O God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and that my soul knows right well. And we take our identity, our sense of well-being from him and not from the culture around us. We don't compare ourselves with ourselves. Our standard is outside of ourselves. It's in the Lord himself and the patterns that he's established for us. There are several verses where uh, this is pointed up to us. Isaiah captures a sense of this. And he says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. As Christian people, we are here to build our lives around the God, this God, our Creator and to follow him, and to follow the patterns of life that he's established for us. And I'd like to ask you tonight, are you a Christ follower? Are you a person who's building your life around the patterns that he brought to us as the incarnate Son of God, established for us in his brief period of time here on earth, in terms of his teaching and his instructions for us? One of the things that Christ said, both in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke, is this, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. There are several pieces of this that I think are worth pointing up for us tonight. If any man will come after me, are you a Christ follower? Are you just a Christian kind of cashing in on eternal insurance, pie in the sky and the hereafter? Or are you really pursuing him day by day, building your life around who he is, what he came to do, his purposes? If you're a Christ follower, his life is your life. His way is your way. His people are your people. His future is your future. And your identity is found in him as a Christian. Any man will come after me. Let him deny himself. That sounds rather severe, doesn't it? But it's basically a denial where you say you turn from yourself as the center and you look to him as the center of your life. It's life is not all about me. I'm here to serve my Lord, Jesus Christ. I am here to bow to my creator, God. I am here to live in the patterns of life that he has established for these human creatures that we are 
these image bearers that we are. And I'd like to put before you that this is a day-by-day-by-day affair, this issue of believing in terms of trusting him, this issue of repenting, turning away from the patterns that are around us and living in the patterns that he has established for us, turning away from this as a center to him being the center of our lives. Are you a Christ follower? It's very interesting that at the conclusion of Christ's ministry, we have the Great Commission, the idea of go into all the world and preach the gospel. And basically, the verb there is make disciples, Christ followers. And that was the commission that was given at the end of his ministry. Are you a Christ follower? Are you one who is establishing yourself in the patterns that he has established? One piece of this that I wanted to get at and I kind of skipped over, but I would like to just mention this to you. One of the biggest problems that many of you have is accepting yourself. Who you are, why you are like you are, why maybe your figure isn't the most fetching figure, why you're not as bright as somebody else, why uh, there's someone that's more athletic or more able. Uh, This is a real problem for us. And one of the things that God wants us to do as we grow in our relationship with him is to bring us to a healthy sense of who we are as individuals. The importance of accepting you and the fact that God gave you this life and gave you this existence and you're going to take who you are and get on with it and not be comparing yourself with others who are better looking, smarter, more athletic, or whatever else it might be. I mentioned Psalm 139.14 as a, a dimension of this. I praise you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There's a little um, saying that I thought was very helpful to me years ago. It goes like this. Don't be what you ain't. Just be what you is. If you is not what you am, then you are not what you is. If you're just the little tadpole, don't try to be the frog. And if you're just the tail, don't wag the dog. If you can't exhort and preach, you can always pass the plate. Don't be what you ain't. Just be what you is. Part of following Christ in a healthy way is accepting the creator's design of who you are and getting on with it and quit wrestling with this and saying, God, I accept the fact that I am uniquely made by you as an image bearer. You have given me my life. You have given me these 60, 70, 80 years to exist here on earth. Uh, You have given me patterns of life now that I can live in that will bless my life and patterns of life that will enable me to bring a blessing to the creation around me, to bring a blessing to the people that I encounter. I accept who I am. And I think this is one of the biggest issues of life for many uh, young Christians. We talked about the fact that this is a progressive thing. So sanctification, the growth in Christ, is a progressive uh, matter for all of us. So it's progressive in terms of belief and trust. It's progressive in terms of repentance and turning away from the world and turning to our 
to the Lord himself and the patterns that he establishes for us. And it's progressive in the sense that it's a day-by-day-by-day affair. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself as the center, take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. And this matter of establishing our center is a day at a time. We build our lives around the Lord each day. And I really want to encourage you, if you're a Christian, take some time each day to turn to the Lord, to establish yourself, to establish him as the center of your life. And uh, maybe ask yourself this question as you go about this. Who am I? The image bearer of God, uniquely made by God, giving a season of life to exist here on earth, to glorify God. And why am I here? To glorify God. To bring a blessing to life, to bring a blessing to the people around me, to bring a blessing even to people who may offend me or put me down or create a problem for me. Jack Miller, who was a professor for many years in theology at Westminster Seminary, was dealing with this whole issue in terms of himself. He was so very taken with who he was and how profoundly intelligent he was and how he was so capable in terms of teaching and grasping uh, data and so forth. And he was just, he, he said, I needed to get away from academia. And he went to Europe on a sabbatical, and really never came back. Uh, God dealt with him in the most profound way, and he saw himself before the Lord. You know, one of the things in my encounter with Jack that I captured is this. I often say to myself when I look at the mirror, when I'm shaving in the morning, Ray, you're a very fortunate man. You deserve hell, and you're going to get heaven. But anyway, Jack puts it this way. He said, you know, if somebody offends you, puts you down, says something really mean or crass to you, don't get upset and don't get offended. Just turn to him and say, cheer up. I'm much worse than you think I am. (laughs) You know, why do we have to defend ourselves if we really have an adequate sense of who we are before God? If we're taking our identity from him, our sense of self-worth. The passage that we're in, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If we're followers of Christ, uh, his life is our life. His purposes are our purposes. What he came to do, we're here to do. He came and really brought brought a great blessing. And he says, I am come to seek and to save the lost. Who are these people that are lost? These are people who have gone their own independent way. They're created by their creator. Uh, But they go their own independent way. And they live life just for themselves. And they take their cues about life from themselves and from the culture around them rather than from their creator and their God. These are the people who are lost. Some of us, all of us, have been there at one point or another. Some of you tonight are in that category, living apart from your creator, going your own independent way, building life around yourself, taking your cues from the culture around you, reductionist culture. The culture God wants us to live in elevates us, calls us on to live 
in a higher form of life, in a life that's really contributive and a blessing to the creation around us and to the people around us. We have a great calling, dear friends, as Christian people. And our calling is day by day to build our life around him, our God, as our center, to take our cues as to how we're going to do things from him and bring a blessing to the creation around us, even as though we were Adam or Eve in the garden. We are here to mediate the presence of God and the blessing of God. And you don't have to use God words for all of this. Many of the motions of the true believer and the true follower of Christ are motions without words. They're kindnesses. They're caring things that you do. There's a matter of extending yourself to others and realizing life is not all about me. I'm here on God's behalf to bring a blessing. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, sometimes uh, you don't really get a chance to see the fruit of your life or some words that you speak to other people. This past Thursday, I took some uh, relatives to a factory close by where this Christian guy makes plaques. And he started off making plaques when he was in mission in the New York area. And he and his wife were caring for gals that were in distress situations. And they started making plaques. And he would pay them out of the sales of these plaques so that they had some income. But anyway, he took the business back to uh, Kidron area in Ohio. And now this factory is a huge factory, and it's a multi-million dollar industry, but it's very Christian in the way it functions. Anyway, I took my friends to, my colleagues to this uh, factory, and uh, all of a sudden I heard a voice over the intercom, and the voice said, "Uh, will Ray Nethery please come to the front desk? And I thought, what in the world is this about? So I went up there, and here was this guy, George Jeffries. Now, George Jeffries, when I knew him before, had been a um, consultant and uh, kind of an efficiency expert in terms of uh, businesses and so on. And uh, uh, we used to play racquetball together. And uh, I would share the Lord with him. And he would kind of blow me off and in his uh, jovial way. He was a very pleasant man, not threatened by me at all. But I would share the Lord with him, and I just felt, oh, this is so tragic that, you know, George isn't really turning to the Lord. Well, he and his wife, Marilyn, went off to New England and uh, were in business there for a number of years. And now he's back in Ohio. He's retired, but he's working at this factory as a tour guide, taking people around to show them how this thing functions. And anyway, while we were going around, he shared with the people the fact that uh, years ago we used to play racquetball, and he said he has now come to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And I was just rejoicing You know, so often when we share our life and share our testimony with other people, we don't have any idea what the results are. And we don't get to see the end uh, of this. But it was such a blessing to me to see, okay, once again, uh, that endeavor, the investments that I made in George Jeffrey, I was part of the chain in his coming to know the Lord. And I'd like to just put before you that part of your life as a Christian person and a follower of Jesus Christ, is to carry out his purposes here on earth. And one of these is to share the gospel with the people around you. Now, let me put this in a different frame. What is the gospel? Your life is the gospel. The way you live your life, the way you speak to other people, 
the encouragement that you bring to them, the sharing that you bring to them, that you bless their lives, that you also, from time to time, look to the opportunity that's there to share your faith in Jesus Christ. For some of us, this is kind of scary. Sometimes we get a little nervous. I'd like to compare it to going into the supermarket. And you know, as you come to the doorway of the supermarket, there are no handles on those doors, but there's a pad down there. And you know, you gotta step on the pad to see if the door is gonna open. And I would just like to suggest to you that as you think in terms of encountering some of your friends this week, why don't you step on the pad and see if the door opens? Ask them a question of, hey, have you ever really discovered a relation, a personal relationship with God? Or some question. And, or just share your own personal experience. That's the gospel. You are the gospel. And uh, you, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, come follow me, then you're here to carry out his purposes here on earth to bring a blessing to the people around you. Are you a Christian, but just looking to pie in the sky hereafter? Or are you not just a Christian, but a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you made him the Lord of your life? Are you building your life around him as your center? It's a day-by-day affair of faith and trust and putting your weight on him. It's a day-by-day affair of repentance, of turning away from patterns that are contrary to his way and turning to him and living in the patterns that he's established for us. It's a day-by-day experience of following him. And as we enter the day, there is this ultimate sense of purposefulness overriding all the other activities. We are in this office. I am in this office as a servant of Christ. I am a student in this university as a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a husband or a wife in this home as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm here to mediate his presence, to bring a blessing instead of a curse, to bring the riches that are there uh, from the, the knowledge that we have of our Savior. If you're here tonight and you've never made the great discovery of building your life around God, your Creator, I would like to encourage you tonight as we close in prayer to consider opening your heart to your God, the one who is your Creator, and inviting into your life the Lord Jesus Christ, as your Savior and your Lord. He is the one that on the Father's behalf has mediated life to us. And we now want to live in that pattern. Would you consider tonight, if you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ, to opening your heart to him, inviting him into your life, Say, Lord, I want to turn away from just building my life around myself. I want to build my life around you. Let's close in prayer.
Lord, on behalf of those of us who have turned to the Lord Jesus and are seeking to be followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, I want to say just thank you, Lord, for this wonderful life you've called us to, for the great adventure we have of living life before you, for the blessings of truth that comes from on high outside of ourselves, for the kind of life you've called us to, and the purposefulness and meaningfulness of being a Christian and knowing you as our creator and knowing Christ as our savior. Lord, we say thank you for the riches of the Christian life, the abundance of the Christian life, the blessings of the Christian life. We want to thank you, Lord, for the high calling that we have, that because of this calling we have purposefulness and meaningfulness as we live our lives here on earth. Thank you for the riches of that. I want to thank you that, Lord, we can trust you to guide us and provide for us. And we can trust you with our eternal future. And we bow before you with praise and thanksgiving for all we have in Christ. Lord, we truly want to be followers of Christ and embrace him as our Lord. Tonight, Lord, if those folk that are here that have not made this commitment to Jesus Christ, I do pray, O Spirit of God, come and touch their hearts and give them a desire to know you, to know the Lord Jesus to embrace him as the source of their forgiveness, as their savior, and the source of their eternal life through through his resurrection. Lord, give them faith to trust in Christ, to put their full weight on Christ tonight. Jesus said to those of us who don't know Christ, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe or trust in him. Dear friends, if you've never made that commitment, tonight is an opportunity for you. And as we close in prayer, I would just encourage you to avail yourself of this invitation and come and see us afterwards. And uh, let us share with you further. So Lord, in the light of what we've discussed tonight, may it bear good fruit this week as we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.